The writer of Hebrews is seeking to put a fire under our spiritual lives and relationship with God to shake and stir us up with God's goodness. There are three things I want you to see and be shaken and stirred by this morning. First, that the Lord has called us to be citizens of an eternal kingdom. And finally, that the Lord calls us to be consumed by the grace of God. Citizens of an eternal kingdom, careful about his holiness, and finally consumed by his grace. Did you know that today's joining day celebration is less about joining Christ Central Church at 3646 Central Avenue? And more about believers confirming today that they are citizens with all believers in the world and from all ages, past and present and future, of an eternal kingdom. Look with me at verses 18 once again. It says, For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the heavens be- hear, excuse me, beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountains, mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight. Sorry, my book's bending. The sight that Moses said, I, will tr- I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels and festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. And there is a lot there, and we'll get back to some of it. But he is taking the history of Israel when they first met God as a people and received the Ten Commandments and began to learn what it meant to be the people of God. And taking that history, he is comparing and contrasting that horrifying, awesome experience of meeting a God who could shake a mountain and then promise to kill anyone who came too close, animals included, with what it means. He's comparing that to what it means to be a believer in Jesus and being citizens of Mount Zion where the city of God is. He is saying that thing of being that being a citizen of Mount Zion where God is is much more impressive than being at the foot of Mount Sinai with Moses and all the people in fear. Why? Because believer citizenship is an eternal kingdom, but one they enter into here and now. Verse 22 says, believers in Jesus have come. 
which means that you believers enter and have entered into God's eternal kingdom on this side, right, of, of eternity, on earth. I like maybe using some of the sci-fi language of a portal or a wormhole, right? In his coming and dying and rising again, Jesus has literally ripped a hole into our lineal world, and we step into it by what we saw today, our profession of faith in Jesus. We enter into salvation eternal salvation and life right here in and from the sinful world. Believers are being sucked into the wormhole of eternity. You are not a future resident of the eternal kingdom of God. You are a present resident whose house and journey home is not quite done. The mention of Mount Zion as the final destination for believers is just as much about the journey of getting there as finally being there one day. I was driving down Central Avenue towards the office after dropping the boys off at school, and I was irritated, like many of you, by the traffic caused by the construction of condos. Anywhere you go in the city, one lane traffic. And one unfinished condo has a sign on it that says, leasing now. With a crane still constructing, blocking, blocking part of the sign, right? Leasing now. That condo was not done, but apparently you can sign a contract that will make, a pre make you a present resident of its promised future. Believers are present property owners and inheritors of a future but finished place in God's eternal kingdom right now. And that is promised and signed and sealed and delivered now because of the finished work of Jesus and their faith in his salvation. Look with me at verse 22 and through 24 again. It says here, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels and festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, right, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. When you become became a believer down here, one of your life songs became, I'm going up a yonder. Y'all know that song? I love that song. I tried to get us to sing it here, but someone was like, we only sing that at funerals. Right? It wasn't Kelly that said it, it was somebody else. But going up a yonder. I'm going up a yonder. I'm going to say goodbye and see my Lord, right? I'm going to see the king, right? That's another song, right? And, and, and it's a song not of death, but of your life. That before we are actually there in heaven and are walking around the kingdom in the streets of gold with new and glorified bodies that right now spiritually our souls, hear this now, our destiny, our earthly pathway, spiritually speaking, is lined already, y'all. Already lined and celebrate, celebrated and cheered on, as Hebrew says, by innumerable angels and festo gathering like a race we are running and the heavenly hosts are in the stands and we 
we can see them at, at the finish line as we turn the corner and you, the firstborn, that is those reborn with the benefits of the firstborn of God, specially honored because of Jesus, are walking forward to Zion before, with confidence before the judge of heaven and earth because of what God has done. That is happening right now in your life. Did you know or not remember or not consider that the life of believers, that they're everyday living and thinking and walking in progress and time on earth is filled with that kind of heavenly expectation and celebration and hope right now. Your life Your path, your way, if your spiritual eyes could be opened as you walk into the Harris Teeter, y'all, as you go to work every day, as you go wherever you go, filled with mess and mistakes, or treading a path of spiritual intensity and and, and divine intention towards your heavenly and complete and glorifying destiny, complete, y'all, with choruses of angels and, and God's act involve guidance each step of the way that is better than thunder and lightning mountain that they experience at Mount Sinai. Believers are locked into a sure as Jesus came and died divine manifest destiny pathway. It's like that bridge to Asgard, right? And Thor. It's the Bifrost. Right? That gateway, that rainbow bridge thing where God has sent his son to be our Lord and having saved people is now bringing and calling them back home, traveling a metaphysical course of time and space toward being swallowed up and completely engulfed up into God's eternal kingdom. And that picture changes everything. Because how and where and why you walk and live are made that much more important and intentionalized and should get our attention and care because you are running and walking on a kingdom heavenly path. Each day and way we believe is live should declare this is where and why and how I am walking through this world and life towards Mount Zion. In the face of Mount Zion and in line with divine providence and sovereignty and the will of God for me, believers must live declaring and how they live and walk, this is not my home. This place, this world, this world's fallenness is not it for me. This is not my final destiny, not my sickness, not my job loss, not my financial issues, not my oppression or depression, not the racism and sexism and abuse I might have endured, not this disappointing in so many ways relationship or marriage you might be, and not that those things are are, are not important and redeemable along the way by God. But as you believers go through them and live in them, you are are called to go through them as if their brokenness and that blight is not the end or final destiny of the story, that even death is not your story. So as eternal citizens of an eternal kingdom, believers walking towards and in the shadow of Mount Zion, We are called by God in that place then to be careful about the holiness of God at that metaphorical mountain. 
Because our God is not only just in his holiness, but according to this passage, he's described as being jealous in his holiness. In verses 18 through 21, you have a picture again from the Old Testament. When the people of God, having been freed from Egyptian slavery, met God in the, in the desert at Mount Sinai, where Moses goes up to meet God, and the event is so terrifying that they don't want to hear the voice of God directly. They don't want to go up to God directly. They don't want God to come down from that mountain. You stay up there. Because they knew he was holy, and they were sinners. And so they sent Moses, right? Moses, you go, all right? And Moses had to climb that mountain and meet God and hear from God. And Moses in the passage says, this is a terrifying thing, y'all. I don't really want to do it, but I'll do it because I'm God's person to do it. And he came back after having met with God and repeated what he said. And the mountain itself where Moses climbed to meet God in the place of the people was so radiated, y'all. This is real interesting, right? Radiated with the holy presence of God, that if someone or an animal even accidentally touched the mountain, they could not even be touched, but must be killed by an arrow or stone before anyone else touched them or they touched anyone else. That's not a walk at the park, y'all, right? Think if you let your dog off the leash like you're not supposed to. Fido, come. Fido go over there to take, his bit, take care of his business on Mount Sinai. Get a little too close. Zap. That's it. Now you got to kill Fido, right? Seriously. This was no joke. And it said, you know, it, it, it's, it's almost like uh, uh, that, that, that it was this radiated mountain, right? That, that if literally like falling, falling carelessly into some radiation zone, that literally like falling in, in, in and not being nonchalant around God's holiness could have gotten you killed in the Old Testament. You know, it's no different today. Believers today. How do y'all say it? Don't even need to be tripping about and around the holiness of God, right? And Hebrews is saying this, that if being at the foot of Mount Sinai that day was a place to be careful around the holiness of God, how much more we who spiritually stand at the foot of Mount Zion, God's holy and final kingdom in this day and age. Believers stand at the most holy place of any human being in human history on the journey to Mount Zion, Mount Zion, which means all things that held true at Mount Sinai. You know, people like to say, oh, that's the Old Testament God. No, the New Testament God is worse and better. When I say worse, terrifying. More concern, right? It, it, I think we, we, we got it wrong because of grace. That, that we've mixed up what grace actually means. We think grace means God's holiness dropped down a little bit. That his intensity about who he is and how holy he is, how holy he is, has kind of eased up a little bit. That's not the definition of grace. Grace doesn't ease God's holiness. It doesn't take away from his judgmental justice around his holiness. It doesn't take care or, or, or lessen his jealousy about who he is. We've changed God 
and called it grace. We think God doesn't, he's not uptight about sin and called it grace. And we are lying about who God is if we say that or believe that. He's more slack about grace. He ain't slack. You wear slack. If it's true at Mount Sinai, then the same things are still true about God's holiness, right? God was just at Mount Sinai and killing those who thought they could take his holiness for granted, taking what he said and who he was for granted, or that they could somehow on their own in ignorance or arrogance think they could take on or unlawfully share in his holiness like touching the mountain would mean? No, God was, is, and always will be a just and jealous God who doesn't negotiate his holiness. It is a non-negotiable divine attribute. And if we try to take it and be good and righteous on our own or ignore his holy word in person, we are headed for a one-way crash course with a holy God. I remember the commercial y'all, uh, with Frank Thomas in it. What position he played? First base? For the White Sox. And in this uh, commercial, Frank Thomas is, is running home to, to, to home base. And the catcher has the ball waiting for him, blocking the base. And you can hear him talking in the background. He's rounding third base. And he says, taking home plate is like two trains colliding. And they show him hit the catcher. And the ball rolls out the catcher's hand. And he says... I'm the big train. (laughs) Guys, God's the big train. He's going to take his place as a holy God. And if you block in the plate with your own righteousness or, or somehow your own rules, your own laws about what's good and moral. And you know what we like to do in this, in, in this society? I'm sorry, I don't want to go this way because I, I know we had a long service today. But you know what we do? We have taken love and redefined God's love, right? God wouldn't do this because that isn't loving, or God wouldn't dislike this, or God wouldn't disapprove of this, or this lifestyle of this person, or the way they want to do it, and how they want to live it, and how they want to define it, because he's love. How dare you? He is jealous of his holiness, which means it's his. He don't share it. He don't get it. We're not allowed to redefine it. We don't get to abridge it. It is unabridged holiness when we're talking about God. That's why the writer here says this at the beginning of verse 25. He says, see, because he's holy, right? that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. So we're not talking about Mount Sinai now. We're talking about Mount Zion. We're talking about a God in, in Christ who's sitting as king over the world. At that time, he, 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 his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase yet once more indicates removal of things that are shaking. That is things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. 
Let me finish this up. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship. Now hear this, with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. When it says shake here, it is saying that God in his holy justice, y'all, and jealousy is going to shake not just a mountain like he did at Mount Sinai. He is going to shake down the whole world and all of its people and all the heavens. That means all the spiritual world is going to get shaken by God. It is safe to say that today the whole world, like the Jews did at Mount Sinai, stand before Mount Zion and, from, and before God's holy person in place. He is going to big train, y'all, shake down and shake out anything that is not holy like he is holy and judge and condemn anything and anybody who is not obedient to his divine will. Oh, they don't preach like that no more. I'm sorry, y'all. God's going to shake this world. In holy justice and jealousy for who he is. Let me say it so you're clear. Right now, this age today is not the time to be tripping with the holy God. To hear his voice and walk away and act and treat him like he and his holiness and is calling us to be holy like him is not so important. God is about to shake the world and our lives down, y'all, and everything and anything in us and around us that is offensive to his jealous holiness will be shaken into and burned in his consuming fire. And don't separate the consuming fire from him. It's not like God built a fire pit and he's throwing people in there. Consuming fire is the very holy personality of God that comes in conflict with what is not holy. Now that's some hot fire. That's some sure fire. That's some purifying fire. It is God himself. It is his holiness that is on fire. And there is this call to be careful how we live our lives. Whether ignorant or arrogant, this is a time and place and space of urgency. The foot of eternal destiny before the holy God of heaven and earth, of the seen and unseen, of the in dark and in the closet and out and in the light. Don't even trip because right there is a God, a consuming fire of all those who get too close or too comfortable or too confrontational with his holiness. We should be to ourselves and our neighbors, right? Like, look, bro. Do you know where and what you are living in? Do you know what age this is? This isn't the age of easygoing God Christianity. We are at the foot and upward path to Mount Zion. In fact, you don't know how close you are to the top because you don't know it because tomorrow's not promised. You might be closer to the proverbial top than you think you are. When you have to face God, this is not a time and place to ever like you, act like you are not near his just and jealous holiness. We should walk and live like we are on the path to Zion. Amen. 
And that should shake us. And that should stir us. But as much as this is about the terrifying holiness of God, you know what? This passage is primarily about the stirring, covering, and consuming grace of God. Look with me again at verse 26, y'all. He says, at that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I'll shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving, a king, for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. This passage is promising believers that as they walk in life journey towards Mount Zion, as they walk towards their final destiny in Jesus, in and towards an eternal life in the kingdom, that as they walk, God will be shaking their lives as they hear his word and as the Holy Spirit works. The Lord is working, now hear this, to burn away all that is not compatible to him and his kingdom. Not to hurt us or make us suffer or consume us in his judgment, but so that you and I can inherit the kingdom. So that broken people like you and me will not be cut off from the holy blessings and final, and get this, even present benefits of God. God is shaking all things to purify and stir us so that we can love and enjoy him and all he has for us now and forevermore. Let me say it. God will shake this world and heaven too. All of its institutions and people and rulers and kingdoms seen and unseen and heavy hitters and superstars and leaders, good and bad, great and small. And with it, God will shake the world with and all sorts of circumstances and issues and problems and catastrophes. Just turn on the news or look on your phone. Not right now, but later. The world is shaking apart. And ironically, coming together like they're going to do something to only be shaken apart again. And God has let believers experience his shaking as well. Just by being in this fallen world, our lives too, right, are shaken with sickness and distress and suffering and job loss and all kinds of scary and possibly discouraging things. And yes, one day death. Yes but with very different results than the world that is not part of his eternal kingdom. Unlike the fallen world, believers' lives are not shaken into a consuming fire, but rather into a heart-stirring grace and life of worship. It reminds me of the words to the song, It Is Well. You know, heard the history behind this? Like, this guy wrote this, this song after his family perished at sea. He composed this song when, his, when the boat passed over right at the place where his family was lost. Shaken by sorrow. He says this. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. 
Though Satan should buffet, though trial should come, let the blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. It is well with my soul. It is well. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, it is well with my soul. And you see why this passage says, let us be grateful, because while the world may shake away, his eternal kingdom love and purposes for you and me will not. You, his people, are inheriting and holding on to and be held on, held, are being held into a life and kingdom that cannot be shaken away. The Lord will not let you who are his be shaken out in the process. I don't care what you and the world around you is going through. He will not lose you or leave you in the shake, but will be careful to buy it. Stir in you a renewed heart and renewed life, a renewed courage and a renewed reverence and awe for him. When we look at verses 28 and 29, you know what this reverence and awe is really about and that grateful praise I'm going to warn you that if you read this passage without hope in Jesus let me tell you what it could be saying you should be grateful and reverent and in awe because God is really scary and if you don't you done but this is not Mount Sinai y'all this is Mount Zion it's more terrifying, but it's also better. The grateful, awesome reverence is seeing, right, how terrible and holy and shaking your God is and what a consuming fire he is and seeing you and me, his children, in the middle of it, spared and changed by grace from it. How awesome is it? Right? That, that, that someone broken and breaking things like you and me, right? Who, doing and experiencing all we can to destroy any hope of ever being right with God. Tripping with God sometimes and, and being shaken and shaken in our faith. Yet, by grace, God wouldn't let us go. That we are held and kept in the grace and love of God. That we, we are clothed in and by Jesus like a holy radiation suit and covered in his blood, right? An effective covering in the blood so that you and I can walk in a holy path and place a divine destiny. You and I, well, I know at least me. But I'm guessing there are a few more in here who are grateful. Because they look at their lives apart from Jesus, and you know you shouldn't be that close to God. You know you shouldn't have made it. You know we should be done before God. We should look in with awe and reverence at the grace of God over our lives and see and say, look at God. Won't he do it as we like to play around and say? 
He didn't have to, but he did. I mean, we, people like you and me, broken, struggling, sometimes weak, are marching and looking with great hope and moving to Zion. We stand safe and joyous in the consuming fire of God's holiness, looking at a world falling apart around us in it with great joy and not fear and condemnation, all because God's awe-striking, consuming grace in Jesus Christ. Believers, marching and walking to Zion, you should and can praise him. Not because of fear and condemnation for his praise, but grace, stirred reverence and awe and grace, grateful reverence and awe. We declare, thank you, God. We are in the company and community of Zion and nothing will or can stop that. Let the world fall. Let things shake. Let sorrow come. But in the middle of it, God's got you who are on the path to Zion in Christ Jesus. To be shaken and stirred. We live and move and have our being as we march toward our divine destiny. Beginning now, towards and with a holy God who sits in Zion. I grew up singing this song at my home church, Crazy Enough, Mount Zion, AME Church. This hymn, written by Isaac Watts, called Marching to Zion. And I leave you with this. Come, we that love the Lord, and let our joys be known. Join in a song with sweet accord and thus surround the throne. We're marching to Zion. Beautiful, beautiful Zion. We're marching upward to Zion, the beautiful city of God. The sorrows of the mind be banished from this place. Religion never was designed to make our pleasures less. Let those who... Let those who refuse to sing, who never knew our God, right? But children of the heavenly king may speak their joys abroad. The man of grace have found glory begun below. Celestial fruits on earthly ground from faith and hope may grow. The hill of Zion yields a thousand sacred sweets. Before we reach the heavenly fields, or walk the golden streets. Then let our songs abound and every tear be dry. We're marching through Emmanuel's ground to fairer worlds on high. Be shaken, be stirred. You're marching to Zion. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, what awe it is and how awesome it is that we, with a God who is in consuming fire, should have such a grace. Help us, Lord, to respond with worship. Sis, we, we ain't supposed to be there. 
But we are because of your grace. When we think about your holiness, we thank you for Christ being our righteousness. Now, Lord, I ask that we would live this life like we're really there in your holy presence, standing in the righteousness of Christ. Help us, Lord, to be grateful for what you've done because you did it and you didn't have to. We praise you for Zion, where we're going, the beautiful city of God. Lord, I pray for those going through there's lots of struggles, lots of hardship. And it does seem like the world is just shaking, shaking them, shaking their resolve, shaking their faith, shaking those they love. But Lord, we thank you that you said those who are in your eternal kingdom will not be shaken out. They will not lose their faith because you will not lose them. Hold us, Lord. Hold us in your hands. And we will be sure and careful to give you praise. This we ask and pray. In Jesus' name, amen.